This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. All right. So first up, as of 4.30 this afternoon... Um, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim and Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin were summoned to the palace for a meeting with the Yang Dipetuan Agong. Um, they haven't yet, as far as we can tell, emerged from that meeting. There, there haven't been any announcements. But that's just the latest in a long series of updates and developments because earlier this morning, after a final meeting, uh, BN kind of emerged and said discussions went well, everything's great, we're very happy, we're not joining anyone. Yeah, and of course we had that uh, statement from GPS that confused a lot of people about exactly what they meant, but it seemed to have the effect of also saying uh, they weren't uh, necessarily going with any of the coalitions, or the main coalitions, and they were going to sit it out until the palace made a decision. I must say, if there's any place in the on the planet I would like to be today, it would be on the wall of the palace, well, on the inside wall, rather, <laughs> and in that room. And also, I'd like to know who are the other stakeholders in there, apart from uh, Anwar Ibrahim, Muhyiddin Yassin, and the monarch. Yes, because the, the reason why, Sharad, earlier you mentioned minority or unity government is because the ground keeps shifting beneath our feet, right? Um, when Barisan National decided that they would play the role of opposition and no longer uh, talk about joining forces with either the 82 or 73 to make up the numbers, uh, then what would that mean, right? Would that mean a formation of a minority government with Barisan National willing to support Pakatan Harapan with a confidence and supply agreement? Um, or could it mean, as it now appears to, that PN and PH are being sat in a room and asked to talk it out for the possibility of a unity government? Yeah, so, you know, the role of the palace now comes into sharp relief. Uh, His Majesty uh, has taken the route slightly different from that of His Majesty the Sultan of Pera, who had a very simple formula. You go to the biggest winner, you ask them if they have the numbers to form the government. If they don't, you go to the next. Uh, And in in this particular instance... That second line produced the government of the day. So uh, Sultan Nazrin Shah's uh, route was a simple, clear, unambiguous one. What we've had uh, around the federal government is much more murky, uh, something that many of the experts that we've spoken to say is the least desirable uh, route, the use of SDs and such, all of which, of course, have now uh, been thrown out the window because of the decision by Sun National. Remember, we can't... No coalition can come together without uh, Barisan National's numbers. So when they said to sit it out, uh, Tansri Mudin Yassin's more than 112 number just vanished into thin air. Yes, because to be very clear, uh, not only did they say that they're not going to support either Pakatan Harapan or Baikatan National, but they also said none of the 30 MPs have signed SDs, which is a signal that either they they haven't, uh, or if they did, it's now null and void, right? So the SD question is really no longer in play, which is a small relief for me, frankly. I I think, um, you know, discussing SDs, murky is a great word. Yeah, so then the question is, what is the the conversation uh, in the palace today, right right now, that we assume is going on? What exactly can uh, His Majesty do? Is he playing ref? 
referee? Is he asking the two uh, leaders to make decisions and over what? Over who is prime minister? What kind of, uh, you know, what kind of relationship do, do they want it written out in order so that we have a process that can be scrutinized by the public? Otherwise, it's again, it's some gentleman's agreement done back, you know, behind closed doors which we won't be able to scrutinize as voters, whether you supported Perikatan or you supported Pakatan, I think you have a right to know how your leaders are discussing it, at least when it's all concluded, right? You, you want to give your leaders some uh, leeway in making those negotiations. But the more importantly is that when it's done, it's, it's all very clear, not uh, murky. Mm. So we have a uh, a live feed open, waiting to see what's going to happen and who's going to be walking out of the palace and saying what. At the moment, uh, it is a, a large scrum of, as you would expect, reporters, uh, as well as supporters actually starting to show up, and also security forces. Again, all of this to be expected. So that's what's happening outside the palace. As and when there is anything new to report, we will take you there. We are going to spend, though... The bulk of our show this evening trying to make sense of uh, what's happening, but also respond to hopefully an update of some sort soon. We are, however, starting off with hate speech. And there's good reason for that. Um, it's because it has been ramping up to a degree that, to the degree that almost each of the political leaders in their own way have come out to call for a little bit of calm, right? Um, it's, I think, it, you know, if we look at social media and hate speech at the best of times, it, it's not great. But in the lead up to the election and post, it has really ramped up. Uh, we have also talked about the role that TikTok has played in GE15. Um, there are videos circulating with the with the tag of May 13th. And I think that gives you some indication of, of the kind of tone that these videos are striking. Yeah, it's also, you know, kind of curious. They use the expression genie, you know, uh, let, having let the genie out of the bottle, the politicians want to put it back. I mean, they let the genie out, the genie of hate, of conspiracies against other communities, uh, the idea that uh, other communities and supporters are an existential threat, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So we have an instance of an ex-co member Trunganu's government uh, calling, uh, casting aspersions on what's happening in Para. For some, Para is a model of stability and now also, you know, uh, creating a government that's diverse and inclusive, right? So mortal enemies before AMNO and uh, Barisan National and uh, Pakatan Harapan, of course, uh, the DAP dominates there in Para. But they've come together and they've shared the positions in a proportionate way and it seems like a working model. But it's been... So he poured cold water over it uh, and raised the specter of race relations. Again, you know, the things that's been, uh, you know, hounding the, this country for the last uh, seven decades... So, but now the leader of APAS has said, no, let's, let's dampen down. So, so I, I want to ask, you know, politicians who first let the genie out of the bottle, now trying to play, you know, responsible uh, statesmen, how do we square that one? Yeah, so that's the question uh, for at least right now. Um, politicians responsible for hate speech now coming out and saying, please stop doing it. Is there really a way of, of mitigating or, or tempering hate speech once it's out there floating about, getting amplified? Um, you can let us know. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're also asking you, of course, as we will be all evening, are you just tired? <laughs> because there, there is so much happening. And would you prefer a unity or minority 
Liberty Government. So if you want to weigh in on that as well, let us know. After this, we'll be joined by Badrul Hisham Ismail, Director of Programs at Iman Research. Keep it here on the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. It is 5.16. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharad. We are covering uh, the ongoing, well, day three of what happens after GE15? Who gets to form the government? We are waiting for updates from the palace, uh, where, as we know, the leaders of the two main blocks have been summoned for a meeting. Uh, as we wait for that, though, a look at the question of hate speech and the role that it's played in the campaign, as well as this idea of, well, it was useful to us then, but now that the campaign is over, can we all stop, which has proven difficult. We'd like to hear from you on this, uh, although I think Sharad has... Well, just a quick news. I mean, I know everybody is refreshing your, you know, your favorite website or news portal almost every two minutes. So we do have some new flow, but we haven't been able to confirm this. So I'm just going to say it because I think it's worth saying that uh, FMT is reporting that Anwar Ibrahim has been uh, elected uh, temporary. Prime Minister. Now, lots of questions around that, even if it, uh, we don't even know if it's true at this point, but it's it's there out there. So we're going to have to come back to you on that. But you heard it here first on BFM 89.9. Even now, though we referenced <laughs> and credited other portals, well, which I mean, we, we did. We, we did because <laughs> that's fair. I mean, you know, you had a credit, you know, give credit where credit is due. Yes, of course. Um, but yes, we will come back and confirm that. We don't know yet. Uh, in the meantime, we have on the line with us our guest, uh, Badrul Hisham Ismail, Director of Programs at Iman Research. Badrul, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for inviting. Um, so we're seeing a lot of reports of hate speech and racial rhetoric involving um, May 13th, for instance, floating around on social media, particularly TikTok. Can you tell us more? Well, it definitely didn't happen overnight. These are things that has been always in the psyche of a lot of the, um, you know, Malaysians. We've been told about this sort of conflict that we had, uh, you know, ever since, even before, you know, the country was uh, formed. And as we got closer to uh, the elections, um, it just became um, more pronounced. Um, again, this is not something that, you know, the first time that we're dealing with, you know, in this election, it has always, you know, happened in previous elections. Mm, but for some reason, uh, with, you know, different channels that nobody has figured out yet, different mediums that people haven't really, you know, gone into yet, uh, probably there was some oversight in not looking at, you know, uh, a specific group of people, uh, age group specifically, uh, you know, what I meant by that. Uh, what are the things that they are talking about and what are the kind of, uh, you know, uh, fees that they've been uh, consuming uh, throughout the two weeks of campaigning? And this is just a result of that. Yeah. Could you give us a, a, a kind of granular sense of uh, the, the exactly the kind of questions you talked about, the source of this information, the worldviews and where it's coming from? Uh, your, you did uh, research. What exactly, uh, you know, the key findings? Well, uh, for specifically for uh, the campaign period for this election, uh, what we saw is, uh, especially starting on the second week of, of campaigning, uh, it just went almost uh, 100% identity politics and what we call it, or at, we at, at Iman at least are calling it politics of morality, where everybody or every parties are just you know, outdoing each other in terms of who's superior, who's more morally superior than the other uh, and demonizing the other 
uh, and all these other different uh, identifications of different parties are just being sort of exploited to, to to show that you know they are terrible because they are that they are terrible because they are that and we are good because we are this and when we have a coalition uh, of ethno nationalist and uh, ultra religious uh, party then the only direction that they're going to go when it comes to campaigning is just one direction and they went full swing now Part of the findings also, uh, and you mentioned uh, an age group earlier, were that a majority of these sorts of messages were coming from the segment of young Malay Muslims. Is this especially worrying? It's worrying, but not surprising. Uh, because we have to understand, I mean, you have to accept that a lot of young people, um, their worldviews are shaped by their families. Um, and the worldview of Malaysians have always been ethnocentric. Uh, and we never really address that. We never really try to uh, expand that worldview. We never really tried. I mean, you know, there are, you know, um, lip services, you know, here and there by uh, authorities. Uh, and of course, there are genuine, uh, you know, uh, chunk of Malaysians who really feel that uh, we should, you know, go beyond that uh, and, you know, assume a more um, multicultural identity. Um, but for the most Malaysians, we are still very much, you know, ethnic based identity. Um, and, you know, if you grew up in that kind of environment, um, it's, it's very um, difficult to, to, to just assume that, you know, um, just because people are young, just because outside of Malaysia, um, you know, these kind of um, identity markers are not that pronounced anymore. It doesn't mean, you know, just saying that young people here will be open to that kind of arguments too. But, you know, if you're uh, if the dinner table discussion that you have with your you know, family members and your parents are about how other ethnic groups are terrible and how you always need to protect yourself from them, this is what's going to happen. But Ruth, there seems to be a bit of a contradiction, right? So you have the politicians uh, sometimes stoking these uh, antagonisms, casting aspersions, you know, talking conspiracy. But at the end of the day, they also do come together in multi-ethnic coalitions. They will have p- coalition partners of a whole. I mean, except with some, with very few exceptions, they do cooperate. So then you have this real uh, uh, kind of uh, cognitive dissonance, right? One hand, you talk hate and suspicion, and the other time, you um, you. Partner, so we have seen in Para, Amno essentially Amno coming together with PK, uh, with uh, Pakatan Harapan, dominated by uh, DAP there in, in Para, um, you know, coming together. So, is it possible? I mean, that people will get confused. The young people might find. How do they negotiate these um, these d- discrepancies and divides between what is said and what is done? Well, it seems that when it comes to partnering with different communities. It's always just about practicality issues. And it's always about making sure that we are able to function as a country uh, and and being able to be part of the governing structure. It's never really about really embracing all the other ethnic groups. So on one hand, you still want to show that you are championing your own ethnic groups. And when it comes to cooperating it's just, and uh, it's always just about cooperating. It's never about embracing this multiculturalism. So, which is why uh, it works for the politicians to sort of justify to their supporters that we are going to collaborate with different groups. But it never addresses the issue that, or it never sort of trying to counter uh, or, or trying to sort of reverse the idea that 
as one ethnic group, we need to show our superiority and we need to be dominant in, you know, in Malaysian life. So this is where a lot of the confusion are happening. And what is going to be always worrying is that when you have, uh, which always going to be small, but, you know, a group of people who would be just jaded by this whole thing uh, and will be continued to feel under siege, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, true or not that they're under siege, but, you know, that, that kind of mentality is always going to grow. And we see that when um, in the height of, um, I mean, I don't want to immediately just, you know, connect this thing to extremist group, but you, you can see the sort of the transition or, or the, 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 the projection that if you kept going in that direction, it's going to be difficult to turn back. And it's just going to be a matter of time where someone or some group at the other end of the road is going to say, okay, then join us. We're not going to, you know, put up with this decorum of collaborating or cooperating with each other. We're just going to go do something even more radical. And that's what is always worrying. One sentence uh, in your report was, we urge all political parties to take proactive measures in calming down their supporters. Now, many of the political leaders, including, for instance, Hadi Awang, have emerged to call for calm, uh, to cease sharing posts that have this content. But it is many of these same leaders who are responsible for demonising their political rivals and also the communities that they are perceived to represent. Um, how have our politicians used or utilised hate? Uh, to their own advantage, uh, they've always been trying to sort of manage this whole kind of um, us versus them rhetoric um, to gain power. And once they are in power, all they want to do is make sure things are smooth so that they can, you know, they can be seen as a good leader. Um, so every every political leader in Malaysia seems uh, that they have this idea that they are able to uh, to manage these differences. Um but um, I'm not sure whether uh, in the long run uh, they are going to be able to do it or not because it's not about their supporters anymore. It's not about the majority of Malaysians anymore. It's about a small group of Malaysians who would think that are we going to have to do something different than this? And if the something different is something good, then you're okay. But if there's something different is something that, you know, terribly uh, or I mean, terrible, uh, you know, it's not going to be too good. So, you know, uh, perhaps in modern Malaysia, there's a competition between the notion of, say, citizenship and equal citizenship and uh, other uh, other worldviews, you know, and I'm thinking here of, of theological ones. So, you know, of people who are saved and people who are not saved, people who are the, of the book and people who are not of the book. Also, in that, that came out in that video where the actor who was a past supporter came out and said, uh, you know, that in an extreme moment he might want to slaughter non-Muslims. But, but he made yeah. actually a theological distinction between uh, what he called kafe har... Uh, Cafe uh, Dimi and Cafe Cafe Harbi, Cafe right? Harbi. So, so yes. tell us about that. I mean, how do you so how do you talk somebody through when their sense of the world is not anchored on modern notions of citizenship and equal citizenship, but are anchored in different, older, traditional, religious-based notions of of a hierarchy of being? Well, I think you mentioned a very crucial part about uh, being Malaysian is that we never really settle the idea of Malaysian citizenship. We never really reconcile uh, among all the different ethnic and different uh, religious groups in Malaysia that we are going to be equal as citizens. Uh, and that is something that we really need to sort of work hard on. And because 
And because we never really, um, you know, deal with it, then this whole different uh, identity and then this whole different idea of who should be, um, you know, who's, who owns the country. And then that itself is very, very bizarre kind of notion that there's only one specific group that owns the country and other the rest are just, you know, um, I'm not going to say strangers, but, you know, um, you know newcomers or visitors. It's because we never really deal with this. Uh, and again, when it comes to like those religious rhetoric, it's, you're just going to use whatever interpretation that suits your um, agenda, that suits your beliefs. Uh, and then you're just going to be at war, interpretation war. <laughs> and everybody's just going to be, oh, this person said this, but this person said this. So it's never going to be, uh, you know, it's, it's a never ending thing. Um, so I don't really have a clear <laughs> answer to your question, but it's just a lot of things that we have been putting it aside and thinking that, oh, we are going to be nice to each other, we are tolerant to each other, blah, blah. But it's now, it's, and has been for a long time biting us slowly and slowly. Badrul, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. That was Badrul Hisham. Uh, Badrul Hisham Ismail, Director of Programs at Iman Research, uh, speaking to us about hate speech and its amplification, especially post-GE. Uh, they actually also did a pre-election sentiment report to understand how people are feeling on the ground, so you can check that out. Uh, let us know, basically, have you noticed this uptick in hate speech and what do we do when politicians who kind of caused it, are also calling for people to quit it. But broadly speaking, we are anticipating an announcement um, from the palace at some point. We want to hear from you on that as well. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.